And so get them into conversations around where's the money falling through the cracks in the business. And then they are self-funding it. So it becomes earned compensation instead of an entitlement where they're walking around, where's my bonus? This is the Authority Builder Podcast. This is the place to come if you're building a professional practice and you want to be seen as the leader in your market. We're going to interview the top experts throughout professional services, and we're going to share insights with you to help you grow your firm and be positioned as the only choice that clients ever want. Welcome to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and we got a phenomenal interview for you. If you have a team and you would like for that team to create more profit in the business, then this is going to be a great episode for you. Uh, I am talking today with Alex Freitag. He is the product of an entrepreneurial household and has spent most of his business experience focusing on his passion to be a hero to entrepreneurs. And he has gone through all kinds of different businesses, all the way from from high school selling uh, handmade t-shirts out of his locker uh, to now uh, helping businesses as an EOS implementer. And he's helped entrepreneurs and leadership teams simplify and clarify their incentive plans and make them work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He's the author of a great book called Profit Works. Um, and I highly recommend you get a copy. Um, and uh, this is going to be a great conversation. I know this is one of those uh, this is one of those topics that having built two teams and two separate businesses, I've often scratched my head around. So Alex Freitag, welcome. Oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be great um, because for everybody listening who has a team, the biggest challenge around the team, particularly if you've got a good team of people that are really producing, is how do I compensate them in a way that keeps them excited and continuing to produce at a high level and creating profit? And I think that's a really difficult thing for most entrepreneurs to to figure out. And so uh, I'm excited to dive into this. Um, Before we do, I would love for you to give everybody just a little bit of deeper background on you and and how you got to this stage of your career. Sure, yeah, thanks. and the, the bio you you, uh, you read was was on target, like entrepreneur since high school, I guess. Didn't really realize I was an entrepreneur, though, growing up. I didn't think of myself like that. I thought that was just some some other person than me. So, But as I look back on it, I realize I've been doing doing this, um, you know, because risk, with the entrepreneur, sometimes we, we take a risk and we don't even feel like it's a risk, but because um, it just feels like natural. And uh, I was a psych major in college. I, I went to L.A. and experimented with an acting career, uh, improv comedy, which was a lot of fun. And um, uh, I worked at a, a company called Cardinal Health. It was a huge you know, pharmaceutical distributor here in Columbus for a, a year, about a year and a half, two years before my brother sort of exposed me to this business idea of uh, teaching employees to think and act like owners. And so I, I jumped ship from this very secure place and uh, went without a salary for about seven years while like, Gavin and I tried to build this thing. And our father was a huge positive influence on us trying to help open doors for, with entrepreneurs in Columbus. And, and um, at that point, teaching employees about business and finance and sharing financials was pretty uh, bleeding edge. And it was a tough go of it trying to build that business. And um, But it evolved into another business called Ownership Thinking, which I did for about six years and over those um, you know, 20 or so years, I learned a lot about gain sharing programs, profit sharing, incentive 
systems and um, and along with this business education piece. Uh, But I stumbled into EOS and the book Traction in 2011. And so I switched gears and became an EOS implementer in 13 after trying to self-implement, which I don't recommend, (laughs) even though it's possible. Uh, I was unsuccessful at self-implementing it, but I uh, loved the, the, the stuff and I uh, wanted to become uh, an EOS implementer. So I did that. There were probably 50 or 60 implementers at the time and uh, went all in and have been for about 10 years an implementer. And um, there are about 700, maybe 750 of us now uh, around wow. the world. And, uh, but it's all based on that book, Traction. But during, during COVID, I, I wrote ProfitWorks, the book, uh, with my business partner at that time. And we, um, you know, we, we just wanted to come up in the sessions a lot with our clients. Like, how do we design a, an incentive plan that works? And so we had all this experience. So put that in the book and it's a short read. I probably realized maybe two and a half hour read, something like that. But we try to simplify everything we learned from Jack Stack and the great game of business all the way through to now where it's very leading edge to share information with the employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so it's kind of, launched into a separate a separate entity a separate business as that entrepreneurial journey it does you know and uh so that's the that's the i guess short version but uh i absolutely love what i do as an eos implementer and um, i love what i do helping our clients design these what we call self-funded incentive plans too yeah that's fantastic so it sounds like eos is is maybe a little bit foundational to some of the ideas that that you've written about in profit works is that is that kind of where things start it's, yeah, it really was like a huge aha for us. And um, when prior to EOS, prior to even knowing about the book Traction or anything, we, we were talking to employees and, tr- you know, trying to help them engage with the business and realizing that there was no necessarily alignment. And so EOS provides sort of a foundational set of tools and disciplines and concepts, accountability, higher degree of accountability. So what we found is that if you almost put that first, like a locomotive, that's the, that's the engine. And it helps create a, a foundation of agreement on where we're going, who we are and how we're going to get there. And a lot of tools and disciplines for the leadership team initially to become really strong and, and aligned. And then the idea is to start to cascade that vision to everybody in the organization. And a lot of times businesses will, um, will not have all the tools to, to be able to do that financial literacy training, uh, business education training, so uh, that ProfitWorks pieces can kind of come on after that. But EOS provides a great foundation. One of the, probably the, the, the tool that really resonated with me the most was something called the People Analyzer. Wow. And uh, so, so the leadership team comes up with the core values. It's kind of like who we are, three to seven core values as an organization. And they can kind of uh, discover what what core values or guiding principles bonds them together and then start to attract people to their business that share those core values. And you can hire for core values, fire, review, reward, and recognize around core values. And you build this really strong right person, right seat, like Jim Collins says, culture. And then you have all these great people that you can talk about incentive plan. But, but what I was trying to do before was incentive plan to try to fix people problems. And it just doesn't, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. I think that's, so, that's probably the, the, thing for people to wrap their heads around. Like if you've got people that shouldn't be on the team to begin with, this is not going to turn that around. That's right. Yeah. Incentive plans, you know, you'll just be giving money to people that you're like, I wish they weren't here or whatever. So we got to lead and manage and do the hard work 
differently than trying to manage it through an incentive plan. And, and uh, so that's what EOS provided was, um, it was confidence for the leadership team. It was, uh, you know, some simple tools and, and disciplines around how to think about managing people. And, um, and then the, the clients that are running on EOS that, um, that eventually decide, hey, we want an incentive plan, that is a much quicker onboarding process, if you will, for the employees to really buy in mm-hmm. because they, they're used to, uh, used to that type of conversation where there's higher expectations of performance um, the company's striving for excellence. They're using scorecards and measurables and KPIs and so forth to uh, hold people accountable. And, and, and that piece uh, ma- makes it a much stronger foundation. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. So so you've got, a, you've got someone you're working with, let's say they've got some of that foundation in place, even if maybe they're not perfectly implementing EOS, because I know there's, right. there's a journey to get that in place. Absolutely. Is, Where do you begin to to bring in the idea of looking at the incentive plan and what are usually the goals that you're, you're trying to achieve there? Yeah, it's, um, there's a couple of goals. The, the conversation might come up when the company has a vision, um, that they want to start to communicate throughout the organization and the tools in EOS is called the VTO and mm-hmm. it has, it's like a one page two sided strategic plan essentially. Mm-hmm. And so as they're trying to share that with, with the employees and they're thinking, well, it says gross profit on there. We haven't really taught everybody what gross profit is. It says EBITDA on there. We haven't really. So, so they start to say, if we want really people to understand, because and this comes back to like 1996, my brother and I uh, asking employees what percent of sales they, they guess profit is. And, and the average guess is around 50%, like bottom line, <laughs> most employees think. And, and we know that's not the way it is, but it's not because employees are stupid uh, that, that they don't know that. It's because we haven't told them. And, and the problem with people walking around thinking we make all this money is, number one, they're going to think you as an owner are making wheelbarrows full of money. And um, they already think that. And two is if, if they think the company's rolling in the money, they're not so tuned into waste and, you know, or, or you know, thinking like an owner, they're, they're kind of like, maybe it's feeling like fat and happy, you know, like there, there's not nothing we need to do. I, so I screw that up. It doesn't matter. We're making all this money. Mm-hmm. And, and usually they don't say we're making money. They say he or she's making all the money. And so there's division and bitterness there. So, so the idea is that um, as they're trying to get the engagement with the vision and the VTO and the, perhaps some of those high level numbers, they start to think, you know, it'd be probably a good idea for us to tell people how you get to gross margin, how you get to EBITDA. And that takes, uh, discipline and intention mm-hmm. and it's really a, it's sort of a cultural shift um transparency you know and and i sort of see transparency or a willingness to share some level of information as a as like walking in the water where you kind of dip a toe in and and then you kind of go deeper as you see oh they, they can understand this mm-hmm. and uh and then they they start to realize wow it's not 50 percent; it's 10 or you know seven or whatever and that's before tax <laughs> So, so that tends to be the, the uh, sort of the prompt to start to uh, share more information and realize that when people have good information, whether it's measurables and scorecards in a department or in a, in a factory or in a plant, uh, you know, out in the field, that they can make better decisions with good information. And um, so that, that's a lot of fun to see that come together. Yeah, I would imagine that takes a tremendous amount of education um, to get them 
to that point. Um, and probably a lot of education on the, the part of the leaders as well to be willing to, to let go of some of that information. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, the leaders themselves, like we always assume, if you're on a leadership team, you must understand, you know, P&L and, uh, you know, cash flow statement or those kinds of things. But um, in my experience, uh, you know, a lot of times people feel like they're, um, you know, imposter. And, and so they, if we can help the leadership team initially understand the basics, you know, they don't have to be accountants and, you know, know all the details, but if at a high level kind of understand it, then they'll be able to translate it and cascade it down to, to the folks that report up to them and, and have confidence in it and realize that number one, it's not rocket science. I can understand it. I'm not an accountant, um, but you know, I've been teaching a little while, but we have to repeat it often. And, and we usually say, you know, people have to hear something seven times for them to hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so the education can't be just one and done. It's got to be kind of a commitment to, to some level, even if it's 15 minutes every month for the leadership team on maybe it's a lunch and learn or, you know, you, you talk about a, a project that, that went sideways and, and how, what do we learn from that and, and, and the impact on profitability or, or you talk about a home run project or a train wreck mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. Those little lessons all sort of become uh, foundationally strengthening their, their business literacy, which is great. And, um, and then they can, they can have the confidence to, to cascade it on through the organization too. Yeah, that's fantastic. So let's talk for a minute about the, the plans themselves. You lay out in, in the book a few principles for uh, a, a plan uh, that that's going to be successful. Um, and, um, I would love to kind of talk through those a little bit and why you think those are important. And, and for me, the number one thing that jumped out was it's got to self fund, which seems sort of obvious, but, um, mm-hmm. but most bonus plans don't. No, no, you're right. It, and, um, and I say in the book, and, and I think it's important that, that, um, we, we suggest the owner and the entrepreneurs start to use the term incentive plan versus bonus, um, you know, profit sharing sometimes confused with like 401k and ERISA and all that kind of stuff. So even though we are sharing a portion of profits or suggesting that and designing it around that, we have a couple of basic, uh, sort of beliefs and experiences. One is, um, uh, that it has to be simple. And if, if it's complex and it's easy for us to make it complex because we, you know, we could create a siloed organization and we have, you know, different departments. And so we do different plans for different departments. And, and then you could, you could design a plan. Number one, you have to administer all those plans. And then you could have a situation where this department gets their bonus. And I call it a bonus in that case. And, but this department doesn't. And so you're kind of, you can pit departments against each other and, and you could, uh, cause departments to hoard resources or people. And, and, uh, and so the complexity around that can be, um, can really slow you down. The, the other piece around this uh, importance of simplicity is, you know, typically we you know, we see the score at the end of the game is profit, um, and and uh, and so it's one number. And use a term like profit before tax, or PBT, versus net operating income or net income or EBIT or EBITDA or that kind of thing, because it's just again confusing for folks that perhaps perhaps haven't been exposed to that. And and um, when it's simple, it's easy to communicate. And, and you can do it in usually one slide. It's like, this is our, our target for the year. And then X percent of anything over that's going to go into the pool. And so that's what we help with is kind of help the business owner kind of 
figure out what trigger should prompt the, because I need to retain some there for return on investment for all the risk that I've taken as an entrepreneur, for capital investment for the future, uh, perhaps to service some debt, and then for taxes. And so we help them kind of establish that trigger or that threshold and then figure out what percentage above that. Sometimes it's as high as 50% of anything over that if it's sort of a stretch trigger. But uh, other times it's usually like 25 or 30% of anything over that goes into the pool. And then we have to help them understand how do we divvy that up. So the simplicity of having one number makes it easy to communicate and then easy for folks to understand. And you can imagine, Steve, on like a a visual, like a a bucket or a thermometer, you know, you could have a visual uh, uh, system that's showing progress on the incentive pool. And um, there's some logic and some uh, science to how to pay it out. Like once the pool's created, you know, there's some things that we talk about in the book, but, you know, percentage of wages is very common. Um, equal payout has been interesting, especially if you have uh, listeners who have smaller firms, like 10 or 15 people. If you have, let's say you have 10 people in the firm and, and the incentive pool is, is $20,000, you can just very easy calculate everybody gets two grand. And it, there's not a lot of, um, you know, hidden things there. Uh, in it. So it's, there's, a, there's an element of honesty and trust and and so the simplicity is a big one. Uh, self-funded, you mentioned, is a second one. So if you design an incentive plan that doesn't pay for itself, I say this to audiences when I'm speaking, but it's it's you know essentially creating another expense, and we don't want to do that. Um, a lot of companies we found have you know discretionary plans where they get to the end of the year, they have a little bit of money left over, so they just sort of divvy out some bonuses, and, and you're, you're missing an opportunity to flip that into how do we change behavior with the incentive plan? And so getting ahead of it and saying, look, guys, this trigger, we're not gonna pay out anything if we don't hit this trigger. And then, and then you are armed with all the tools and training to actively participate in finding the money in your business to fund the plan. And so get them into conversations around where's the money falling through the cracks in the business, and then they are self-funding it. So it becomes earned compensation instead of an entitlement where they're walking around, where's my bonus? Winter bonus is coming out, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, no, no, you guys earned this. So we want to flip that script in a big way. Um, and, and probably the last one uh, is aside from simple and self-funded would be supported. Uh, the the ongoingness, which you talked about, that the education, the commitment to reinforcing it so that people can, can really uh, uh, start to learn uh, how the plan gets funded and their role in it is really important too. Yeah, I think I, those are great kind of guiding principles. You know, it occurs to me that if you're designing a simple plan, the design of the plan is actually probably pretty easy. The The challenge, right, is now how do I get all of these people to understand what do I need? You know, it's Monday, we're start, starting this off week one, right? Yeah. What are yeah. they going to do? today, tomorrow, the next day? What are they gonna do four weeks from now, eight weeks from now, 20 weeks from now, that's gonna to contribute to that? And, and um, mm-hmm. so how do, you, how do you approach that so that people are actually knowing how to act in a way that, that leads to profit? Yeah, well, we, we, once the plan's designed, which is usually with the, you know, a couple of key leaders and the owner, and um, the launch event is, is sort of the first kickoff or announcement. Of, and, and ideally, it's done with some education so that people know, hey, here's the plan, here's how, um, here's how it's going to be designed, and, and uh, let's talk a little bit about how to fund it. And um, 
And so that event is important as a starting point and then let, letting folks know that on a, on a frequent basis, and some teams do it quarterly where they'll have like a state of the company meeting and they kind of say where we've been, where we are and where we're going. And here's an update on where we are with the incentive plan. And they do that quarterly and they might teach a little bit each quarter, just, you know, 15, 20 minute little exercise around gross margin or around cash profit or, uh, and so forth. And, um, so they're, they're committed to sort of a consistency around this. And, uh, some teams do it monthly with like a leadership team. They'll do like lunch and learns or some, some, um, frequency and content. And, and we developed a, an online kind of masterclass of content that our clients can use to, to tap into, it's almost like a library of videos and downloads where we're teaching the leadership team about some aspect of, of a financial statement or um, you know, a, a way to drive increased you know, margins. And they, it might be a five or 10 minute video, but then they can download the PowerPoint, put their logo on it and teach that, perhaps rehearse it a few times, but then teach it to their teams. And uh, we're trying to, there's so much so many different ways to teach, you know, business literacy, uh, but we want to create an easy sort of way to so that the the company's not thinking we have to start with a blank PowerPoint and make it all up ourselves. It's it's out there, and we get 80, 90 percent of the way there, and then you can kind of cross the T's and dot the I's, and and that at least kind of, and then we we do some quarterly check-ins and accountability calls, but we we can at least kind of help them get out of the gates and uh, and get on the road to uh, to the educational kind of consistency mm-hmm. which is great and in a yeah. year or two uh we see a lot of a lot of financial changes and you know uh, it's fun to celebrate and pay the checks out and um uh you've protected the company number one but then the the communication with the employees around why you're getting this and and how you earned it is really powerful i think yeah i can imagine so so i was just going to ask what what are some of the the transformations that you've seen with companies who've gone through this, yeah, it's um, it's remarkable. Sometimes it's in as quick as like ninety days. Uh, in as you know, within EOS, we kind of look at ninety day chunks and and call them rocks. But uh, where you can have you know ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of of uh, changes in one quarter, like it might be around waste. If uh, if you got folks in the field that are uh, paving uh, parking lots, and they you know they they cover a manhole or something like that. If they have to re- redo that, you know, they used to think, well, that was just customer service. We're trying to take care of the customer and like, no, no, that's, that's rework. And, and so that, you know, we've got materials and labor and overtime and opportunity cost of what we could have been doing if we hadn't been doing redoing that. And so finding those types of little uh, inefficiencies or wasted efforts in, in, you know, sealing up those cracks uh, it's, it's exponential because if you seal it up for that quarter and then you, you keep that going, it's, you know, for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in year we've seen lots of different profit swings from, from loss to, to, to hundreds of thousands of dollars in changes in the to the positive on the profit line, uh, cash flow from, from negative cash flow to, to positive cash flow. When they start to focus in on AR or, mm-hmm. you know, any, any, uh, receivables that are that are standing out for a long time and just get them to really start to be disciplined about uh, tracking that and, and enrolling more than just you know the finance person and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, it, it helps them feel a bit of freedom uh, to, to unload from their from their backs to say no this is our our company and our journey let's let's have you guys all share that insomnia <laughs> the reason right. when I wake up at 3 a.m maybe you could wake up 3 a.m too worrying about the same things mm-hmm. uh, so it's a lot of fun. Um, 
to see that. And it's as creative as the employees can get. Uh, you might remember reading in the book about Challenge Rocks, uh, mm-hmm. which is like a gamification of a quarterly uh, uh, improvement in a measurable. And and uh, there was one company that was a distributor in, in Florida that uh, uh, they were able to um, set up a Challenge Rock around increasing web sales, like sales from the website. And, um, and they had people in character uh, and, and uh, like Morpheus and you know, rolling it out and just having fun. They had these big posters on the wall. And um, you know, increase web sales by like forty thousand dollars in a quarter, and uh, so it, it it allowed the employees to have fun while they're driving financial performance, which is a like a big culture impact as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, so it sounds like it, once you begin this educational process, it really quickly translates down into the the granular. Um, you know, and that's always, I think, one of the challenges. How do we connect the strategic to to today's tactical? And it sounds like the education really bridges that gap. It, it does. And I think the the person teaching it, it, it's important. Like if sometimes it might not be the best person, might not be the finance person. Um, it could be you know, somebody who's more comfortable um, and, and can speak kind of in layman's language uh, with the folks and and use real life examples. And um, I think it's more a commitment to, to doing it than necessarily the, the who does it. But um, you know, the idea of having some content that's in, you know, you can create a little group activity uh, and exercise that engages folks instead of just saying, here's, here's what we did last quarter and clicking slides. Any questions? You know, it's more like, how do we, how do we change that? Um, and it's almost like maybe an in-person kind of suggestion box too. It can create a lot of ideas. Uh, when the employees see, wow, uh, what's in it for me if I suggest these things? And uh, certainly incentive plan is there, but it's also like fewer headaches and job security. Uh, um, if the company's doing well, that's a good thing for everybody, regardless if there's an incentive plan or not. Mm-hmm. So um, that becomes pretty re- really important and uh, impactful piece of it. Yeah. So are these plans typically paid out annually or do they, as you pay them out on a quarterly basis, how does that typically work? Yeah, that's great. The, it, it, it depends on uh, the, the company's uh, wishes, but we'll walk through with the, the pluses and minuses for both ideas. A lot of our clients are, are paying out or wanting to pay out quarterly. Uh, so we, we can structure it in a way where we calculate it every quarter, but we, we pay out 50% perhaps of the first, second, and third quarters and bank the other 50% of those quarters to the end of the year. And that way you're protecting the company in the event of a downturn, you haven't paid out all this, but you've kept everybody's head in the game on a shorter term. So uh, there's a concept of, of called, it's called time span continuum. And, and um, with psychology and, and we're talking about human behavior here, the, the quicker you reward a behavior, the more likely you are to get that behavior. And, and so the frequency might depend on the, on the type of work, workforce you have. And um, even companies that say, hey, we're going to pay this out annually, I say, that's great. Just make sure you're reporting on it quarterly. So people keep their heads in the game, uh, keep the discussion going around uh, with everybody on why the quarter ended up the way it did. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are going to pay it out quarterly, consider uh, banking you know, some percentage of it. Uh, another model is like 10% in the first quarter, 20%, 30%, 40% where it builds through the year, which mm-hmm. helps you uh, keep everybody kind of tuned in and and wanting to get it over the finish line as well. So yeah. those are those are the most common ways. 
And, and then when you get to the end of the year and you're starting your planning for the following year, you've already got the, the incentive plan template uh, created and you might change the trigger because hopefully you're shooting for higher targets and you might tweak the percentage of share that's above that that's shared in the pool. And so we help them walk through that so that you're not kind of having to reinvent the wheel. You just got to roll it out again and hopefully make it match the one-year plan you know, for 2024 in this case. So very yeah. common. I, yeah, I, I love the way that that kind of plays out. It, it, I think it fits both the motivational factor and also then sometimes the concern yeah. that as a as an owner, you want to make sure that you're not putting out all the cash up front, you know, in the plan yeah. just in case things change. So what what is the mindset shift that has to happen inside a business owner or a leadership team to yeah. really make this successful? Well, a couple of mindsets. Uh, the, the one that I'm really learning uh, that's very important is that uh, it goes around the, the concept of transparency. And um, transparency is sort of, you know, in, in Patrick Lencioni, if you read Five Dysfunctions of a Team, talks about vulnerability-based trust as a, as a real foundational element to, to having healthy teams. Mm-hmm. And so trust and transparency are highly correlated. Like when you share with people, you're, you're letting down your, your uh, you know, any walls. And, and so, uh, again, not saying you have to share t- every piece of information. I see it as a continuum where they're, they're sharing way too much information. I call it radical transparency over to closed book. And so somewhere in the middle there, there's a bell curve where you have higher levels of performance, uh, but not on the ends. Uh, you have fear or entitlement. So, so a mindset of, if you have a mindset of entitlement in your culture somewhere, pockets of entitlement, you know, wanting to shift that to that earning mindset, um, which can be, uh, takes courage, right? So, cause a lot of times you, you, if you have a, a group of entitled folks or folks you feel are entitled and you start to raise the bar on your expectations, they'll run to fear. And because um, they're scared of be measured and be held accountable and, you know, this place is, you know, top down. And so, so you want to try to keep people up in that earning mindset. Uh, so that's really important one. Another one would be around people and just really caring about people. If you're a business owner that, that uh, really believe people, people matter and you want to invest in your people and you want, you know, they have the capacity to understand this. Uh, that really is important because you're, you're, you're investing in them by sharing information about the company's performance with them. A lot of times when we're teaching business literacy or business finance, we kind of relate it to personal finance because it's a little non-threatening of people. So you take home a paycheck and you pay all your bills and you got a little bit of money left over. And, and so that, that ability or willingness to teach employees uh, about this stuff is a signal of respect and increases trust and increases that feeling that, you know, they care about us. And uh, so those are probably two of the big ones. Um, you know, a commitment to an operating system is found to be really powerful, especially uh, the companies that a lot of companies I'm working with are running on EOS. And so they, um, they're disciplined. They, you know, they're doing the right things around that that, uh, that help them do this ProfitWorks piece separately really well as well. Do you feel like a company needs to implement EOS first or simultaneously? How, how do you approach that? Yeah, I, ideally, uh, 
the, a lot of the discipline around how they hire and fire and manage people, as mm-hmm. if that's been done prior, then layering the incentive plan after that can make a lot of sense. So I do suggest that that might start before the profit works piece. And having said that, I've worked with plenty of companies where they they just love their culture. They got great people. Uh, they may not be running any OS, but they just have a really strong culture and they want a, a self-funded incentive plan that that's going to move people out of sort of like the bonus mindset. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that can work too. But most of the time it, it works better if the company's running on, uh, on EOS first. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Well, uh, Alex, what else should people know about this approach that we haven't covered? What, uh, have we left anything out at this stage? Uh, let's see the, the, we talked about the no entitlement incentive plan, the trigger tension, you know, the, the, the bell curve, the tension mm-hmm. curve, uh, the profit education, the importance of committing to that, um, and the meeting discipline around that are, I think, are pretty important pieces. Um, and it, it becomes somewhat of a cultural shift. Uh, so if you're not used to sharing information uh, with anybody in the organization, you know, experiment with, with this question, which is, uh, like, what are you afraid of? You know, what, what are you afraid of? And, and just sit down and maybe take a clarity break and think about that. What am I afraid of by sharing information? And, and you might realize as you jot some notes down that, that there really isn't anything to be afraid of. Uh, people will use that information to help you improve the organization. Um, and uh, yes, some of the fears generally revolve around if I share the information, they're going to want more money. And you know, they already think you're making 50% profit. So usually that, that becomes dispelled very quickly. Um, if, if I share the information and that we do uh, poorly one year, they're going to run for the doors is another fear. And, uh, that's not been my experience. Usually they're like, let's figure out how to fix this thing. And they're all in. And because they want, they don't want to go find another job. They want to, uh, they want to stay there generally. And, um, and, uh, so, so those, I think that's a great question to ask yourself, uh, around open book. You know, certainly, uh, read profit works, uh, if it, if I stimulate some ideas, and uh, and uh, visit our website. We're certainly happy to talk with folks uh, who are curious about it as well. So. Well, yeah, I definitely recommend folks get a copy of the book. Um, and uh, w- what's the website they can go to to, to get the book? Uh, ProfitWorksLLC.com is, is our website. And then certainly anywhere you buy books, uh, uh, Amazon is, is certainly number one comes to mind. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's on Audible. And if you're, if you're not a reader of books, but you prefer to listen, and I know people are sticking that on 1.5, getting through it in like two hours, which is, <laughs> which yeah. is nice. So uh, that, that would be great. Yeah. And we're happy to answer your questions, of course. And love, we love this stuff. And uh, it really is, is uh, powerful when everybody knows where to look and they just start to, to really help you take care of the company. It's great. That's awesome. Well, Alex, thanks so much for sharing all of this and investing some of your time with us today. Um, I love this because, you know, I've got employees now and, you know, built another company where we had uh, about 40 and, and it was always a big challenge. Like, how do we structure this so that it's, it's not an entitlement because it very quickly can be. In fact, uh, everyone on my current team knows that I loathe the Christmas bonus because That's it right. creates that that sense, you know? And uh, and so I think this is a great path forward. It's so simple. Um, and so I encourage uh, everybody with a team, 
go get a copy of ProfitWorks. Reach out to Alex. Um, so ProfitWorksLLC.com and your other website is AlexFrytag.com. So if anybody's thinking about EOS and implementing, um, they can talk to you there about uh, doing that. That's absolutely right. And uh, one final word, Steve, is it, there's there's no silver bullet with incentive plans. Uh, so it is it is going to be an imperfect process. But uh, my experience is, you know, kind of the 80-20 rule. And, and we can help you avoid a lot of the mistakes uh, that you've probably, I've definitely have made them and, and you've probably seen them or made them yourself. And and, uh, and so hopefully that'll help you uh, avoid those mistakes too. So thank you very much again for having me. Appreciate it, Steve. Yeah, great, great to have you here and uh, and we'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bring in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.